Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. I am delighted to welcome onto the podcast, Dan Abrahams. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Dan, it is wonderful to be here. I think today's going to get confusing. Two Dan's. Well, yes. Well, one has got a dulcet, a measured voice, and the one's got a slightly overexcited uh, voice. Because, of course, I'm overexcited to have you on the podcast, Dan, joining me at your convenience after many, many chats. So what I hope I don't do is I don't start to go into some of the insights that we talked about before, and everything is fresh. So uh, for the people who don't know... um, much about you or who you are Dan just give us a little bit of an insight into what you do and perhaps uh, why you do it um so uh, as, as you said Dan Abraham so I am a sport psychologist fully qualified fully registered um have been for the last 15 years before anybody asks um I am a former professional golfer um and I know you're a mad keen golfer maybe just the mad golfer Dan um but uh I was certainly a mad golfer when I played professionally um rarely saw the fairway often saw the trees and the bunkers and the uh water uh which led me to sort of constantly ask why 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 does this happen why can I not concentrate why can I not build my belief why am I always anxious um and aside from answering the question related to well I don't really have enough talent here is probably the main answer um I was just constantly interested in uh the psychological side um I was I was half decent I was okay at golf um but when I realized I was always going to be eating out of a baked bean tin can um (laughs) because I really wasn't making a lot of money and players such as Tiger Woods were uh, sweeping the fields. Um, um, I started to coach. So I went through the British PGA, did my PGA qualifications up there in, in at the Belfry in Birmingham. Um, and as I was coaching the game, I spent a number of years coaching. And the wonderful thing about being a golf coach, Dan, is that you're doing it full time. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a 40, 40 hour a week thing. So you do a lot of lessons. You become quite experienced quite quickly. And I loved coaching and I was a better coach than I was a player. But there was this nagging thing in my mind that I, I just wanted another challenge. So I decided to go to university um, at the ripe old age, I think in my mid twenties, about 25, as a mature student. Um, I was coaching golf and doing my, my degree full-time stroke part-time if that makes sense got my degree went on to do a master's in sports psychology and then came to a crossroads and it was like well am I going to be a golf coach who has sports psychology on the side um which kind of bolsters my my golf coaching or do I become a full-time sports psychologist and I really had a yearning to work in other sports um and even in other domains such as the corporate environment uh, 
and life in general. Um, and so I chose the latter. I chose to become that registered and qualified sports psychologist. So over the last 15, 16, 17 years, that's what I've been doing. Um, I, I've specialized in golf and I would probably say the other specialism I have in terms of the, the sport I tend to work in would be football, soccer. Um, done quite a bit in rugby uh, and done a, a lot across all sports. So for the last 17 years, that's what I've been doing. And yeah, it's it's fun. I like it, Dan. <laughs> well, I know you do. And you post lots on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So we're very lucky that you you fully share all these things. And of course, you run your own podcast. The, the, second, well. the second best podcast in the world. The second Behind, best. Uh, rugby Weekly. Yes. Uh, well, that's right. Very, very well said. And part of the charm <laughs> of a sports psychologist is to make you feel as if you are, are the best. Where maybe we will uh, always discover. working. Yeah, it's always working. <laughs> that's right. The, the clock's never off. Yes. Never and off. always charging. Dan, and well, all, so yeah, pretty, yeah, flip. So uh, that yeah. was a very that was a very expensive introduction. Uh, <laughs> as, as it turns out, you need to use fewer words. As we as we move move through, so I I mean I've got a, a bunch of questions which I um, I previewed with you beforehand, and there was only two or three which shocked you. Um, so I'm going to try and start with the one of the least scary ones, but maybe is quite scary. Is um, I expect you're challenged by this all the time. Can coaches really influence the mind of the player? Oh, can they? Can they? Um... Start with the toughest questions of the day. Of course they can. Hey, look, I, I'll tell you what, I'll start with a controversial, controversial statement. Controversial because I've heard this for the last 15 years, what I'm about to say. Um, you know, it's in the head coach or the manager, if we're talking about football, the head coach is the sports psychologist. I've heard a lot of managers in football say to me, oh, come on, Dan, I'm, I'm the sports psychologist here. And I, no, no, you're not. Uh, and you probably don't want to be the sports psychologist. Now, absolutely, coaches do psychology within their role. They do psychology within their role every second of every activity, of every session, of every day. Because let's face it, every interaction counts. I mean, psychology is, is uh, uh, drives every interaction it drives every silence every behavior um, it's involved in learning in helping players grow and develop it's involved in helping players engage it's involved in helping players high perform consistently under pressure I always talk about coaching being a craft that works towards three p's Dan I talk about the first p being participation and that's the engagement piece well what could be more psychological than trying to help uh, a person a, a group of players a team engage capture their interests captivate their attention that's so so important right and then we've got a second p which for me is progression to help players learn and to grow as people to learn as players and to grow as people and then we've got the performance piece and that's that consistent high performance under pressure being a better competitor so all of it is psychology in many respects if we think of sport being technical tactical and physical those are the main components right they are sport you can't take those away from sport but underpinning those components are the biopsychosocial pieces with so psycho in the middle okay the psycho is in the middle psychology is in the middle 
sandwiched by the biological and the social, biopsychosocial. So all coaches have to be invested and all coaches can influence the biopsychosocial of the player in front of them, the person in front of them, the group in front of them, themselves as coaches, their assistant coaches, if they have the luxury of having assistant coaches, the wider organization around them. So absolutely, number one, they are invested in this. Are they sports psychologists per se? No, but they do psychology all the time. Can they influence? Absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to go on today and talk about all the different tools, techniques, philosophies and methodologies to help that to happen. So what we're saying is that the head coach uh, <clears throat> needs to be aware of it, needs to use some of the tools Mm -hmm. but they can't be they 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 need also to have someone sort of separate to them to be doing another piece with their players i i i would i suppose yes although i fully appreciate that not every club every team or every organization is going to be able to afford to have an outside resource or a resource inside that they're they're paying for not everybody has that that luxury to be able to have that i just think all coaches need to be the best that they can possibly be at delivering on the, the, the psychological or the biopsychosocial components of uh coaching they've got to be able to influence people they've got to be able to change and manage behavior um, so uh, that's a big part of their role. And they can absolutely do that through their session design, through the activities that they put on, through their coach feedback, their general coach behaviours, um, right the way through to um, little attitudinal qualities as, in terms of how much they care, um, their capacity to foster relationships with players, their ability to lead and help leaders within the team lead, um, their ability to help players team. So this is going on all the time. Now, what I would say is that they're not sports psychologists per se, because they don't have that title you don't have that qualification just as i can't come into a rugby team and i can have an understanding and awareness of principles to play that lead to game models okay i can have an aware but i'm not an expert on that i'm also not an expert on drawing together all of those components and producing game plans specific to rugby i don't have that brain capital if you like to be able to utilize um i can't do that and if I may say so, a coach isn't going to sit down in a session with a player and call them a client and perhaps help with some of the, um, whether it's the, not the clinical issues, because that would be clinical psychology, whether it's more the welfare or the, 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 the mental health piece, no. And perhaps they might not have the same understanding that a sports psychologist would have around human functioning. And that's okay. That's okay, right? However, where they do have an advantage is out on the grass. Out on the grass is where so much of psychology needs to be done. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And they're out on the grass with me. I mean, can, we could talk about whether I should be out on the grass because I actually believe I should be if I'm engaged in a club. That's another conversation. But they're out on the grass. They also have a language and a, a language of the game. They also have a history in the game. And so their delivery of psychology even though they are not sports psychologists, can be more believable for 
some players, not all players, but for some players. Um, so in that respect, that package for them becomes, I'm a coach, I do psychology, I do biopsychosocial every single day. The demands of coaching demand that I'm able to do that. If you have the resource there to utilize a sports psychology psychologist, my job as a sports psychologist is to come in and to sense, sense give and to sense make, to sense give and to sense make around the biopsychosocial factors. So I want to help sense make and sense give if I'm engaged with a, a team, a club, an organization, or just a coaching staff or a head coach, him or herself, I'm sense making and sense giving around um, environment, coach practice, and the, the biopsychosocial uh, stuff in coach practice, around motivation, around behavior change, leadership, teamship, relationships, the three ships, if you like, around personality characteristic. Who is that person? Why are they behaving that way? What can we do about it? What linguistic tools can we utilize uh, to be able to shift behavior? Effective preparation for game day from a psychological perspective. The psychology on game day, helping players have the mental frameworks to build the capacity to high perform under pressure consistently. I'm a sense maker and a sense giver. That's how I help coaches and players as well. And I can get in between players and coaches and help that dynamic as well. So it's quite an exciting space to be in. And if you're a coach and you're open-minded enough and you're willing to say, well, look, I do the psych stuff. I do the biopsychosocial stuff, but I want to get even better. I'm a greedy coach. I want to be even better at this stuff. Then that's awesome because we, hey, we can create a great relationship here where we're going to really work hard on you, the coach, your coach, you and your coaching staff, be the very best that you can be at biopsychosocial delivery for your players and with your players. So we can be collaboratively all in. That's what I'd say to that. Well, as I draw a breath to uh, myself to uh, take in lots of the things there sort of suggest to me that there's an enormous amount. In fact, it's probably um, from a coach's point of view, they're probably listening and thinking this is actually quite a scary proposition. Um, <laughs> because there's so much I need to be doing. But I mean, that's the same actually when you look at any game because it, uh, all games are complex. Uh, anyone who thinks that rugby is a simple game is uh, is a fool because the, well, and apologies to people who do think that because rugby <laughs> is an extremely, one of the most complex games you're gonna come across. Um, so there's complexity in that. So there's complexity in the sports psychology uh, that is required. And I suppose there's two things I want to ask here. So. Um, I don't know which one to ask first, but I suppose the first one is that um, a little bit of psychology, sports psychology could be dangerous. You know enough to actually get yourself into trouble. Mm. Uh, and I want to sort of know what I've got to avoid. And the second thing is that uh, anyone who's thinking, yeah, I, I need to look into this more. They've got this, such an enormous amount that you need to know and understand. There must be a starting point um, yeah. um, I mean, beyond obviously employing a sports psychologist, if you're a coach who's genuinely interested in where you go. So let's start with almost the avoid believing or doing this and start here, I suppose, is where I want to want to begin with. 
avoid believing that you can't do it and avoid believing that you think you're going to get it absolutely spot on all the time and don't try to um because nobody can do that um and uh, you did make me chuckle there because i'm thinking uh, about all the people who are going oh you're just making this sound so difficult dan so so, so <laughs> challenging you know you're meant to you're meant to make this sound simple and you're meant to make this sound easy and and i, I let's let's be a classical sports psyche here and say well let's reframe it and let's just say that that coaching is so much fun because it is so challenging you're not going to get it right all the time you're going to make mistakes and 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 also look i I predominantly involve i predominantly work from as a consultancy or from a consultancy perspective at the adult elite level so it's often with people who are coaching full-time it is their job um and so the demands are on them to be you know, the very, very, very best that they can be. And they're doing this 24-7 and often they're thinking about it 24-7, whether they should or they shouldn't. So um, for them, perhaps it becomes some of the things I'm saying are less daunting. I think the other thing to add there is, look, I, I must admit, I am a sports psychologist who takes a very broad definition of sports psychology. I'm not one who just thinks psychology is just for the well-being and the mental health piece, which some young psychologists now are starting to say. Um, I believe psychology underpins um, just about everything. Um, and I, uh, I think we can offer a lot um, in uh, all aspects of coaching. So, so, so one must say that. But uh, avoid thinking that you have to do everything and avoid thinking that you're going to get everything right. Um, and avoid not trying, not striving. And so that brings us a neat segue onto, you know, part B of this question is, well, where do I start? And I would say that it starts with a blank bit of paper. At the top of that blank bit of paper with your pen, write psychology or write biopsychosocial and then start making some notes um, it can be as scant as you like or it can be in as much detail as you like start to create your biopsychosocial plan and I think that starts with a brainstorming session that starts with what you know um, what you like uh, to, to, about psychology and, and, and what you feel that you know and perhaps what you feel that you do and how you go about things um, I think that's a really, really good start because, again, you're starting to sense make around what you do. Okay, so um, just, just can I just interrupt then. So yeah. uh, I have literally written that on the top of my page. And um, I, I mean, I would regard myself as um, as relatively expert coach uh, yep. from all my background and that sort of thing. But I would uh, look at those three, the biopsychosocial, and I have to write psycho because I've uh, in probably misspelt as well. Yep. And I would, my, my first worry is I don't actually know exactly what each one of those words means. I can, I can guess, and I suppose the danger would be I'd, I'd, I would then fear that I wouldn't go down the, the, the right route. So, again, I mean, we don't necessarily um, want to define them exactly now, but where would I go to to start that process off so I can brainstorm effectively? Because... Um, we, we, we know, and I'm sure there's going to be a wry smile here, that uh, there's a danger with discovery learning that you can't discover if you don't know what you're supposed to be discovering in the first place. So 
I need to have a little bit of knowledge to start with. So perhaps just give us a bit of an introduction because maybe one or two people who are listening in have actually uh, picked up the pen with the blank piece of paper and written biopsychosocial, and then they think, what do these words mean? <laughs> uh, hopefully they're not driving whilst they're writing no, well, biopsychosocial, <laughs> which is uh, which would make things far worse. Um, look, and and Dan, this is why you're such a great podcast host because you make your guests strip things back um, <laughs> to to make sure that your your listeners um, are given a, a full flavour of definitions. Um, let's start with social, uh, and let's strip strip things back and say in, environment and culture. Uh, essentially everything that's around you that can influence you and that means probably probably means literally everything around you that can influence you that can influence how you think how you feel the emotions that you experience how you behave um and so Dan, I, I, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna uh, jump in there sorry so when you say everything i mean maybe my mind thinks everyone uh, so obviously the people who are around you. Yeah. But uh, I also now start thinking it must be about the space that you're in and uh, the sights, the smells, the sounds. Because uh, if you're um, if you're coaching right in the middle of a very noisy uh, area, it's completely different to be in a calm uh, place in the middle of a, a field in the middle of nowhere. So that, that's, is, that, is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely, Dan. And this is why I'd love to be coached by you, because I know instantly that you'd be considering a psychologically informed environment. A psychologically informed environment, a PIE, P-I-E, a psychologically informed environment, is actually taking note of an environment and considering what impact are the, the thoughts, the feelings, the experiences our players are having. And one of the factors is our physical spaces. When our players... Um, arrive at our, our club, what are they seeing? What are they experiencing? What greets them? These factors can't, you know, they matter. They matter. Um, and, and so even just considering that can be something you can spend a few minutes thinking about. Um, and, and that can influence players, player engagement, come back to that participation mm. piece. Um, and that immediately, immediately, that immediately makes me think of uh, in the very olden days when I used to play some decent club rugby, um, the, the, all the clubs had food after training. They recognised that uh, plenty of the players had arrived from work uh, and they were maybe had to travel back home. So let's put on some, put on some food. And of course, it wasn't the food which made the difference. Is the fact that you sat down with the players and chatted to the players. Now, whether they knew that as uh, with their sports psych hats on or not, I'm sure that must have been a very positive outcome for the teams and team building. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, it's considering the fine detail there, isn't it? I, I love that little picture that you've you've given us there of your experience. 
another thing i'd say is you know how are you how are you when, when your players arrive how are you greeting i mean you talked about players talking with each other or talking to the coaches you know that that's your opportunity to foster relationships with them um that's the environment that you are creating for players and it's absolutely crucial it's not just the physical spaces it's how you and your coaching staff are greeting your players um your behavior on their arrival um are you out setting up uh, activities which maybe sometimes you have to be doing um or uh, or maybe you're forced to do that because you know you're on your own coaching um uh, or maybe you you're afforded the opportunity to actually go and actually have a chat with people coming through what does what does your behavior look like and again don't just because you coach at let's say the premiership level doesn't mean that you ignore your demeanor when players come come into the club you know what? What does your face look like? What what <laughs> facial features are you demonstrating at any any given time? Um, you know what is your body language looking like? What what things are you saying to them? What conversations are you sparking? For me, that comes under the social piece there of biopsychosocial because it's impacting player psychology. It's impacting the external impacts influences mediates the internal so think about yourself think about your coaches think about the physical spaces around and then we can broaden that out if you're a coach of young people if you're a coach of anybody but if you're a coach of young people what are those people what are young people experiencing in their everyday life that they house in their mind that they bring to us what culture are they coming from when we consider people's behaviors often their behaviors are influenced mostly by the culture their backgrounds their experiences with peers with parents the cultures that they've grown up in so having that broader outlook of behavior is what the social piece really is about it's about our behavior as coaches and what we present to our players it's about the physical spaces the offerings that are around a player when they walk into the building or out onto the pitch and it's also the wider and broader uh, societal and cultural aspects that influence their behaviors that you that i believe coaches should consider when they view player behavior as i said the other day on twitter um that 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 player who is is um is uh is constantly late you know maybe they're late because um they do things that are sort of maladaptive and and it's their fault or maybe they're late because they've got to get something done for their grandmother who's ill and they're a carer for them maybe they're late because they've grown up in an environment where they haven't been had the fortune of being given the opportunity to experience timeliness there are all manner of reasons why people behave in the way that they do we should consider cultural aspects and experiences within their um within their upbringings that uh that clearly influence their behaviors that is the social piece so going back going going up around that is that um 
I've uh, seen uh, things pop up on Twitter. Uh, well, this is what we've done here. This is what we've done here to engage or look after our players. And I, I think this is, these are fantastic. And there's some great examples out there. One of the things which I suppose worries me or I, I get concerned about is whether I can do these things consistently. And uh, because a player will say, well, this is what happened the first time, but they never did it again. So is, um, is consistency as important as I'm worried about? Or is it something that um, um, is, is not that important? As long as I've done it at least once. I maybe about... might be asking my, answering mm. the question, but mm. I, I feel consistency is something which is important. Are you talking about consistency of coach behaviour or are you talking yeah. about consistent, consistency? Um, I think it's... I, my personal belief that it's important or sorry useful perhaps important for coaches to give themselves some space to reflect on the behaviors and the practices that they uh, engage in and they deliver they think about the behaviors and the practices that their players experience um, in their sessions in their activities in their day-to-day -day dealings with you as a coach and to consider how consistent they are you can't have consistency of behavior all the time because life is um life changes and challenges change and um just human beings don't work that way but a modicum of consistency perhaps consistency of rules consistency of guidelines uh consistency of certain behaviors that give players safety uh, and peace of mind um uh, and help them feel that they're in a healthy environment i think that's the kind of consistency that i i would be i would be looking at um if you're comforting one moment and shouty the next um of course there might be nuance depending on you know what you're experience experiencing um you know if, if if a child is bullying another child if a child is putting themselves in danger that might be a shouty situation <laughs> right but um by and large if you're if you're a little bit um inconsistent with your temperament then that's something that you might want to consider striving to become to become better at managing you're a human being as well as your as your players so you're going to have those kind of personal challenges that's okay just give yourself a little bit of time to reflect on your own behaviors can you make the things that are important to be consistent as consistent as possible i'm not sure if this uh, is a thought which has just suddenly jumped into my mind but um in the very old days of mm. when I first started teaching and to say I started coaching, they used to say, don't smile until Christmas. Now, <laughs> I know that that's uh, had a bit of a bad rap recently. Um, just in terms of setting out your stall early on, where do you think you should be as a coach? Do you think that that... Uh, there is some sense in that. I'm not suggesting that you are grumpy and tough to start with all the way and then you first crack your joke on January the 1st. <laughs> it, it, is, there, is there some sense in being a little bit tougher to start with uh, and then letting go? Or where, where's the thinking these days on that? I, 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 
I'm not too sure where the generic thinking is. I can give you my thinking, which would be, I think it's about being, it, 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 the answer lies in individual specificity and context here. Uh, I think every coach is different and every coach has uh, uh, typical characteristics and responses. Um, they have a preferred style of coaching um and i think context matters i i think if you're a coach of six seven eight year olds and you're a grumpy bugger you may want to consider whether you want to be a coach of six <laughs> seven eight years but perhaps you can be but i i, I do wonder um i i think that if you're um the i don't know a coach of a premiership team and you're constantly cracking jokes um, and you struggle to take something seriously for five minutes, then you might want to consider whether you should be a coach or a premiership uh, team or the hierarchy might want to consider <laughs> their employment situation with you. I, I just think, Dan, I don't think there's one answer. I, again, if I may say, I think it comes back to coaches choosing to have a, a keen sense of self-reflection, uh, maybe a mentor, maybe a coach themselves, um, maybe seeking feedback from players or from fellow coaching staff, just having um, a critical uh, a critical friend even who maybe comes along and watches you uh, coach, watches your coaching practice and provides some feedback. It might be, a, in, in our case in rugby, a non-rugby um, person who, who does that. And that can be that can be useful um, because it, it, it will it will give us an idea of um, really how others see us and perhaps fill in some gaps from our blind spot as well, which perhaps we miss those when we when we're engaging in self-reflection. So I would say individual differences, context are key there. There's no one right answer, um, but different age groups would perhaps promote different types of behaviours, I would probably say. Yeah, my experience of um, coaching coaches is I, I get often asked the same questions by younger coaches, sorry, young, younger coaches often who are working with younger players, and they are expecting to uh, the players to be like senior players and they are expecting a certain level of concentration listening skills uh, reactions and therefore they 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 don't become their natural selves actually and they they forget to enjoy enjoy the coaching and it becomes more of a chore because of it Oh, it, I mean, and, and I think we can use what you've said there as a, as a neat little segue onto answering what the psycho piece in the biopsychosocial is, because you've mentioned some interesting, you know, you've compared younger players to older players. And I'm kind of, when you're saying that, I'm envisioning in my mind that, I don't know, that 17, 18 year old academy player getting the opportunity to come into team training with the first team with season 25, 28, 30, 32, 35 year old players with hundreds of appearances and, and enormous experience and brains of the wired, that's the biological piece, which we'll come to, brains of the wired uh, to, to accommodate kind of habits and behaviours related to first team stuff. Now, um, when we think about the psychological piece, you've mentioned some of concentration, and commitment and control as in self-control. 
Um, confidence might be another C there, but communication as well, the capacity to collaborate cohesively, uh, the ability to, I think I said communicate already, to lead, to team effectively. All these all these words are related to the psychological side of things. Now, if we were take your example of a 17, 18 year old coming into the first team, and actually quite often we're we our, our generation can be can bemoan this generation, whether it's millennial or generation Z, and go, wow, today the youngsters they, they just don't know how to lead, or they don't, you know, they're off on their own all the time, thinking about their own game, and they're selfish, or they don't concentrate well. Oh, it's iPhones, and and uh, oh, they don't. Oh, if they if they if they drop in confidence, they just can't engage in the game at all. They're gone. They they're overly anxious and. We can. It's a broad brush statement, but we maybe contend to assign blame um, on young people for this. But what I would say there is, we need to psychologically train, and maybe from a younger age, we need to give these young people experiences of teamship, leadership, relationship, the capacity to collaborate. Uh, to communicate together, to work cohesively, the ability, we need to give them techniques in our activities to be able to pay attention, to concentrate on the task at hand. That is psychology. We need to give them simple techniques to be able to build their confidence. Tell me about you at your best. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Bang, there's a simple question that helps them build confidence you're being a great psychosocial coach biopsychosocial coach in that moment we need to give players these experiences that can happen in the classroom but you know the best place is on the grass in your activities or in just formal or informal one-to-one conversations with these players but we that this is where coaches need to be great biopsychosocial coaches and the psychology is in those c's concentration confidence commitment control leadership relationship teamship we need to expose players to mini experiences in every activity in every session we need to care about that psychology piece to enable them to build their capacity to play whether it's at highest level or enjoy their game and get better over the lifetime and i think a very important thing to put across there and you've emphasized is to help them see what paying attention really looks like what concentrating really looks like help them model it for themselves because if you just shout pay attention or concentrate it is uh it is meaningless to these uh these players and they will sometimes come up with meaningless phrases in return it's like when you say well i'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions because i think this is going to help them well they don't necessarily know why you're asking the questions or what responses you want from to you have to model it. you have to give them the chances to say right this is why i'm asking this question this is why i'm going to ask you to come across with these answers and if i then say something on top of what you've just said i'm not criticizing your answer i just want to find a little bit more out about what's going on and then the players understand now that doesn't happen snap your fingers if you if I go and run a guest session, um, and this is the same for any coach, really, you are spending the first five, 10 minutes of any session trying to understand roughly where some of these players are coming from. You're making a massive rule of thumb guesses on what, what's going to work. And sometimes you can see you're, you're, you're doing something and those players have never 
had that challenge put in front of them and they get they're going to struggle so your your approach would be as a coach is you are building these models to pay attention to concentrate uh to do all those things which apparently generation Z can't do i i think it's um, it's wrong it's the wrong approach i think you're, you're right that we have an amazing opportunity to help them to understand their approach because they're arriving at a game of rugby or a training session for any sport with a whole bunch of things that they've come uh, they've arrived with which mm-hmm. don't necessarily match up to what we arrived with when we when we entered sports so sorry i've i've wandered off there um so we've done a bit on the the, the psych psych how about the bio what's that mean so because i mean obviously we're the, the sports psychology is what we're talking about mostly here so how about the the bio bit yeah, the bio bit becomes, I suppose, a little bit more complex. It's the parts we can't see. It's the way uh, that your, you know, your your the behaviours that you see are linked to how uh, the the brains of your players are wired. Essentially, the hormones uh, that they are releasing. So, uh, to to uh, uh, give you an example, to put it in basic terms, if we if the um, if a player is feeling anxious, um, is experiencing a stress response, they're probably releasing a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol, not cortisone, cortisol, which is your stress hormone. When they're, uh, when they're paying attention, they're probably releasing uh, dopamine. When they're feeling competitive, they're probably releasing testosterone. So that's the hormonal piece that's going on underneath the surface um i think the biological piece i mean you could also argue that uh the biology is also the motor development the the um uh, skill acquisition uh, side of of things um so when you're helping somebody develop their skills you're influencing them at the biological level i think the most i think when one was would when one strips it back if you've got a keen sense of the psychosocial piece, the biological piece by and large takes care of itself. But it can be worth knowing as a coach that whatever you're seeing on the surface is being influenced by what's going on underneath. Um, and hence why we say biopsychosocial. Um, so that's that's what I, I would say to that one, Dan. Without without going into a university style <laughs> lecture mode and starting to talk about dendrites and uh, afferent and efferent nerves and things like that, uh, because then everybody will switch off. Well, and there is probably some uh, sports psychology about how you can switch players off as well as come <laughs> yes. on. I'm, I'm assuming, and uh, this might be uh, something I regret saying, is that. When you say that how the brain is wired, that comes with a massive asterisk because it's just a shorthand uh, term. Is that right? The brain isn't actually wired. It's not a computer. Um, the brain isn't a computer, and nor I don't think anybody suggests these days that the brain is a computer. Um, and and the brain wired um, is the wiring is a metaphor. Um, so, but it is a useful metaphor, like many metaphors, um, are, but certainly the the brain as computer is, I don't think anybody would suggest it's, it's giga in, giga out. Um, (laughs) it's, it's not a computer. Um, uh, but that isn't to, again, I think 
we, we don't want to go too far down these lines, but it, that isn't to suggest that it can't be computational. Mm. Um, and it isn't to suggest that it doesn't necessarily, that, that, that it doesn't process information. That jury is, is out. And if the very best neuroscientists on the planet at the moment, uh, for instance, I think University College London is one of the stellar places on planet Earth right now in terms of investigating how the brain works and the finest minds um, and they don't know there there's a lot of hypothesizing going on at the moment um, so um, it doesn't matter who you have on this podcast Dan <laughs> nobody knows there's just a lot more intelligent people than us guessing what's going on so yeah, yeah. okay well and I uh, I mean I think uh, sometimes we can get um, the metaphors are very helpful because they're they're a good shorthand to an, or enable us to under, give us a, a chance to understand what's going on. So, I mean, the the the, the general coach who's going out uh, onto the field isn't going to have a sports psychology um, uh, background. Uh, they're going to be picking up bits and pieces which are going to hopefully help them out. And this sort of understanding of the biopsychosocial um ideas and the blank piece of paper now i, th I feel more confident that i can actually make <laughs> makes uh sen sense make as, sense. as opposed to make sense of the of this um now i'm just going to take you on a slightly different route now um is uh, we um we approach games and we're nervous about games and the game starts and things aren't going so right um, you've talked to, uh, before on, on podcasts about the, the way that the player should approach this in terms of understanding where they're at during the game. Can you just sort of give us a little bit of a, an insight into how that works? And the second thing is, the, the sort of second question is that if the player understands it, how as you as a coach can you support that player? Questions. Um, and I, I can only but give you... Um, Dan Abraham's approaches and colloquialisms here, um, <laughs> which is so, why you're on here. And this is why you? <laughs> so, so I, I'm very, very passionate about players having uh, a better, more sophisticated relationship with performance. We're very socialised in sport into outcome and performance. And what I'd say to coaches, my opinion through my experience, um, is that if players become if players experience unhelpful emotion around performance, um, it's often because of their narrative uh, related to performance. Players tend to become very extreme with their language around performance and outcome. Got to win, got to win, got to win, got to win. Got to perform, got to perform, got to perform, got to perform. And that's understandable because, you know, especially at the very highest level, in many respects, these organisations, these teams exist to win. OK, players get to the highest level because they've been so heavily socialised and socialised themselves. Maybe some of them really want this is, you know, into that narrative of got to win, got to win, got to win, got to perform, got to perform, got to perform. But actually, even to the players who um, would sit there and say, Dan, I love winning. I hate losing. I want to go out there. I want to have a nine out of 10 game. I want to be outstanding all the way through. I want to dominate play here. Even those players, in my opinion, would flourish and thrive with a broader narrative around performance. 
Um, so what I try to do with players, and again, I'm only speaking from my experience and my practice, my consultancy, is that I would try to turn down the volume of extreme language in around performance. I'd like to win. We're out here. We want to win. We'd like to win. Okay. We're going to do all that we can to high perform. I'm going to do the best I can to have my best possible performance. It's not just I'm going to go out there and have my best performance. I'm going to go out there and strive to have my best performance and my best possible performance. Because these are human beings and they've got 400 bones in their body. And you can guarantee the game, as you said, rugby is as complex, complex a game as you're going to get. And you're going to have a tough, strong opposition who want to win as well. And you've got a bunch of teammates around you, some of whom might not have their own best day as well. So there's so many factors that are out of our control. And thus, I would argue that the very best, most robust, most flexible, most dynamic narrative going into a game that a player can have is I'm striving to win and therefore I'm striving to perform at my best, but I'm also striving to have my best possible game. And you know what, boy, if that means it's six out of 10 rather than five out of 10, awesome. If it's seven out of 10 rather than five out of 10, absolutely superb. If I can turn six into seven and six into eight and seven to eights and seven into nines, that is the competitor that you want. If you're coaching at the competitive level, now that's the competitor you want. And every coach will say, well, I want consistency. I want consistency of highest possible performance. And so for me as a sports psychologist, and maybe my lens of the world is completely biased, Dan, I understand and appreciate the importance of physicality. Of course, if you're not physically right, you lessen your chances of high performance. But the mental side, the mindset side of game day really does impinge on your capacity to strive to have your best performance and to strive to have your best possible performance for me when players get it mentally right when they compete in what i would call their high performance mindset when they know what their high performance mindset is and they compete in their high performance mindset for 80 minutes then they give themselves their best chance to have their best performance and or their best possible performance but it starts with knowing what hpm is i'm saying this to every single coach listening out there do your players know what helps them get into their high performance mindset even if it's just one philosophy or tool or technique if it's a couple of tools and techniques brilliant do they know if they can't tell you within 15 seconds what they're striving to achieve mentally to be in a high performance mindset, to optimize their performance, to give themselves the best chance to impact a winning side, then they don't know it. Then it's not in their long term memory. Then you have to help them learn exactly what they're going to got to do to get into their high performance mindset every single second of that game and stay there. And if they drop down into their low performance mindset, then they're able to shift up. If they find themselves out there at five out of 10 or four out of 10, because they've made a few mistakes, they've dropped the ball, made a forward pass. They found themselves out of position. And so subsequently the ball's broken. The, the, I don't know, a phase of play is broken down. Opposition have got it. And they're straight up, you know, um, up to your try line. Um, then you need players who have the capacity at that four or five out of 10 standard to be able to stay in their high performance mindset irrespective of how they're playing in that moment 
Because when they're capable of doing that, when they're intelligent enough to do that, when they have the wherewithal to do that, then they can deal with that situation and notch it up to six to seven out of 10. Then they can start making a positive impact on the game. So really it revolves. Let me summarize down what I've just said. In many respects, you can throw away winning and losing, perhaps, perhaps, because that, that's out there. That's like, we know everybody wants to win, perhaps. And so we're going to throw that away. We know we want to high perform, but let's make sure we're going to give ourselves our best chance to have our best possible performance to turn five into six, five into seven. Now we're starting to have a sophisticated relationship with performance. Now let's broaden our narrative. Yes, I want to win. And yes, I want to high perform and have my best possible performance. How am I going to do that? What is my HPM, my high performance mindset process? What does that look like? What little things have I got that I'm going to do that's going to help me execute every responsibility and every action in my role? Because ultimately, that's all performance comes down to, Dan, whether it's football, whether it's rugby, whether it's basketball, any team sport, performance is just a bunch of actions and a bunch of responsibilities. And if you've got in rugby 15 players who are executing their actions and their responsibilities in their high performance mindset, and they're helping each other to do that, then that's a very powerful place to be. But have you got that? Have you got that in your team? Do your individuals have that? I'm happy to explore HPM more, unpack that a little bit, but that's what I would be saying to coaches. Well, I mean, I think that HPM piece there is incredibly exciting and it does need to be unpacked. And I think that it will need to be unpacked at, a, at, a, at another date. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to just, um, I mean, this week could go on and on and on. Part two, we know part that. Two, Dan. We, it's going to be definitely part two. So, I'm going to finish with uh, Dana Abrahams. Uh, do you still you still uh, play a bit of golf? Um, I haven't played for about five or six years, Dan. I think I need to see a sports psychologist. About it, mate. <laughs> right, I think okay. that's, that's so, my problem. The, so let's say uh, that you do go up and uh, you stand over your first shot. What would be your HPM? Oh, easy. Um, uh, and I'll tell you, if I could get in a time machine and go back um, uh, 25 years, I would walk onto that first tee, dominant, aggressive Kepka. Um, Brooks Kepka, former world number one, wasn't around then. So let me give you another one, dominant, aggressive Woods. I would walk onto that first tee, dominant, aggressive Woods. I would walk into the ball, dominant, aggressive Woods. Nothing and no one would take me away from that. I might be standing on the tee playing with two great players, Whereas before I'd get anxious about that and I'd start to have ants, automatic negative mm. thoughts around the players that I was playing with because that player's got a really good swing. That player hits it 50 yards past me. Oh, the wind's quite strong and I hit the ball quite high and this fairway is really tight. I would turn down the volume of those thoughts, not by wrestling them, but by directing my attention onto being dominant, aggressive woods. I'd walk onto that first tee, dominant, aggressive woods. I'd introduce myself to my playing partners, dominant, aggressive woods. I'd walk into that first ball, dominant, aggressive woods and no matter where that shot went i'd walk down off the first tee down the fairway dominant aggressive woods i would have a game 
face. I have a technique of a game face. Mm. That would be my persona, my attitude. That's the initial thing that I would do. There's so much more I would do, Dan, but that would be what I would do. And you know what? If I had done that, if I'd had that persona, that attitude, that optimal mental state, if I'd be, if I'd gone out there to be, do an act, if I'd been a great actor, dominant, aggressive words, because we talk about the importance of being authentic these days, but we can't always be authentic in pressure situations where we experience a lot of anxiety, a lot of ants, automatic negative thoughts, feelings, and emotions. We need to be able to deal with that and so that's what I would do and you know what I wouldn't have got to the world's top 200 500 possibly not not the top thousand but I would have had a lot more fun and I would have won more money um, not millions but more money uh, and so um, that's if I took it up tomorrow that's what I would do again um, and it excites me that next time out we can unpack what a game face is and help coaches create game faces for their players. Now that's brilliant Dan and it's I immediately and I expect other coaches and players who may be listening in are thinking yeah that that makes a lot of sense because if you have been in that in that zone or whatever uh, metaphor we want to use, you, you know, you know, you know that feeling and it just is the most amazing feeling. It's a really happy place to be when you're in a zone and things are going right. And um, it's just a very exciting part and it's, it's exciting. And um, I know I'm recording the video. No one's going to see the video, but if they were able to see the video that every time you start to talk about something, you are very animated about it and i hope that that comes across to everyone who's listened in so uh should they have not fallen asleep and they've made they've paid attention and they're still with us um obviously i'm going to put in the show notes where they've got to go but just quickly um where, where to go to find out more about some of the things you've been talking about and maybe uh big up a book or two that uh, they should be um putting on their shelves to uh, gather, no, to open and read everything. <laughs> yes. Well, the 10% who are, are still with us, um, they could go to danabrahams.com. And that's my website, as the name suggests. Um, I do have a podcast, as we said earlier, the second best podcast in the world. And that's the Sports Psych Show. And it's a good podcast, not because I'm a particularly good host, but because I have amazing guests um, where I try to bring sports psychology alive and unpack quite complex topics. Um, um, do follow me on Twitter. I've got three accounts, but I'll give you my main one. That's at DanAbrahams77. If you do appreciate some of my rambles and brand of BS, and I do do a, a mini article on LinkedIn every day that uh, I also send a link to out onto Twitter, uh, where, uh, again, I try to unpack some of the complexity and the nuance of psychology. And I suppose the last thing, to say there is if you do want a book to gather some dust on your uh, bookshelves um, then um, I have four um, the first one is Soccer Tough and very kindly uh, the uh, Welsh footballer Gareth Bale um, kindly said that apparently it changed his life Dan I mean I'm not not too sure that's what he said I don't know if it was for the better or for the worse but uh, that that's what he said last year so that was very nice of him and and it's I would say all everything in there is still relevant uh, for rugby very relevant indeed um, but thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, bend your ear for uh, an hour or so yeah well I've uh, it's been uh, truly bended in the right bent 
Ben did bent in the right in the right shaped. way. <laughs> shaped, yes, yeah, shaped is a, is a good word. And I would thoroughly recommend um, the, the podcast. Some very good guests, and yeah, Dan, you're very you very kindly let them speak a lot. Uh, I know that you probably want to jump in and say a lot yourself, and that is the the danger when you're hosting is that you've got as many questions or thoughts yourself. So mm. brilliant, really enjoyed it. Um, and um, it's been a great pleasure just to just to sort of scratch the surface, really, of what we've, we've been talking about. So, yeah, there will there'll definitely be a part two, part three, part four and ongoing. Uh, I, I really hope from from my point of view. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to find out more about this podcast and all the other podcasts go to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button thanks very much dan for your time thank you thank you and uh, we'll catch up with you all very soon bye-bye thanks for listening to rugby coach weekly podcast if you want to hear more podcasts head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.